Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. There's desperation and anguish. More than 80,000 Afghans have since arrived in America. But this story is still unfolding. I'm Andrea Smartin. In my new podcast, Stranger Becomes Neighbor, we'll find out what happens to these new arrivals in our communities. Who would help our newest neighbors? Follow us at kslpodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. Inside Sources. As we continue to hear of the atrocities committed uh, by Russian forces in Ukraine, the question really comes up, will Europe finally stop accepting Russian oil and gas? Is this a red line crossed? Uh, and what does that actually mean? Uh, that's what many in the U.S. are wondering after news of the massacre in Bucha uh, over the weekend. So the thing that has been curious to me is what are the conversations uh, that are happening in Europe at the moment? And we're really pleased to have joining us from Paris, France today, uh, Rick Nowak, who's a correspondent for The Washington Post, a great piece uh, on the massacre and the test of these red lines. Uh, Rick, thanks for joining us. Hi, thanks for having me on. Uh, so, so give me a sense uh, in terms of kind of the conversations there in Europe, in France in particular. Obviously, there's some uh, big things happening there, but just give me a general sense in terms of the reaction. Well, there really has been quite a significant uh, hesitation here in Europe over the past weeks to really move forward on uh, sanctioning um, or uh, embargoing um, oil or gas supplies from, from Russia to Europe. But really what we've seen over the last few days with those images emerging from Ukraine has triggered a rethink in, in a number of European capitals. Um, that has been most noticeable, I, I would say, in France, where uh, French President Emmanuel Macron faces um, an election, a presidential election uh, this week. Um, he has said that, that Europe needs to take steps to um, to halt the delivery of Russian oil and coal to to Europe. That really is a remarkable statement because France is one of the biggest countries in Europe. Um, Macron had very long held back with such demands, well aware that um, the biggest neighbor of France, uh, which is Germany, has been very hesitant because it really relies a lot on, on Russian oil. It relies a lot on Russian gas. And, and Macron knows that this will put the German government in a very difficult position. Um, but, but, but he went ahead with it anyway. This will serious, this will uh, trigger serious conversations over the next few days on, on the European level. Um, it's unclear how Germany will respond at this point, uh, if they're willing to, to go ahead with this or, or not. The, the signs so far are, Germany remains hesitant on this front. Uh, I, I think that is uh, so interesting, and, and so let's let's stay with France for for a moment in terms of uh, President Macron and uh, the election, uh, which, as you mentioned, will happen this week. What are the uh, the politics of this? How is that playing out? Uh, as you mentioned, uh, there seems to be some uh, appetite in terms of maybe uh, oil and coal, but uh, natural gas seems to be a, a whole other issue altogether. Uh, but what's the political ramifications? What are the political rumblings uh, leading into the election? 
Well, it's really interesting. There are certainly two fronts here in France. Um, one part of the population thinks the sanctions haven't gone far enough so far. People are demanding uh, tougher sanctions. Um, and, and certainly what we saw today, those announcements by, by Macron, they, they certainly reflect um, that desire among parts of the population to crack down on, on Russia more forcefully. But um, what we to look at is a vote, so a second round of voting on in, in about three weeks between the far-right candidate, Marine Le Pen, and the incumbent, um, Emmanuel Macron. And the far-right has essentially mostly focused uh, during its campaign in recent weeks on, on those sanctions and the economic fallout for uh, people who they say have already gotten poor over the, over the course of the last uh, years under Macron's leadership. So um, this certainly has boosted um, the, the far right's argument, and it really has created two clear fronts between Macron, who wants to uh, toughen the sanctions, even if it costs the French um, real money and, and makes, for instance, their electricity or, or gas prices higher. Um, whereas on the other side, you have the far right that's saying, uh, we wouldn't do that. We would, we would very wisely, we would very precisely, um, choose the sanctions that aren't going to hurt, uh, French consumers. At least that's the way they are portraying that. Uh, and President Macron has also uh, been one who still is able to have conversations with Vladimir Putin, has been uh, important in behind-the-scenes conversations, to be sure. Uh, how is that playing out, uh, inside of France in terms of, uh, France's role uh, in terms of hopefully trying to find a path towards peace. Well, his continued contacts um, with with Vladimir Putin have been predominantly seen as a positive thing here. Uh, people are people believe that um, that you have to keep talking to uh, to to the other side, even uh, when the other side commits atrocities like 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 this. Um, it's it's interesting because there isn't really any um, any growing demand for Macron to cut off those ties or to stop talking to Putin. That really hasn't been much of a, um, a public debate here, um, even from the far right. Uh, if you're just joining us, uh, we are being joined live uh, from Paris. Uh, Rick Nowak, who is a correspondent for the Washington Post, great piece. Uh, go to the Washington Post to check out uh, his piece uh, on uh, the Buka massacre test, Europe's red lines on Russian energy. Uh, and it really is doing that test. And uh, earlier you mentioned, uh, Rick, Germany. Germany, I think, has surprised a lot of people in terms of their willingness to go with a lot of these sanctions. Uh, how are things as we get closer and closer to dealing with things like natural gas, uh, are the Germans continuing to move? Well, it doesn't currently look like they're, they're really moving substantially. Um, over the weekend, the German defense minister sort of implied that one should talk about halting um, gas supplies to Germany. But some of the biggest opponents of such a move are actually the politicians you would assume should be most in favor of such a move, um, including a lot of Green Party politicians who are now in power in the, in the government. They, for a very long time, argued that Germany should stop um, uh, gas um, entirely and then focus on renewable energies. But there are now some, some of the um, strongest opponents of such a move because they say uh, it, it's just too much of a, of a task to completely cut off those supplies. Germany depends... Uh, or has depended in the past um, about its it supplies depend by 40% on, on Russia when it comes to gas. That's quite significant. And it would mean that if Germany 
uh, halted those um, imports immediately, it would look at a pretty bad um, recession, most likely, and and a real problem to um, substitute those supplies. And the final question for you, Rick, as uh, the atrocities and the images uh, continue to come out of Ukraine, uh, any other uh, reactions or likely uh, sanctions or or things that the people are calling for? Uh, as you mentioned in your piece, this this red line is it the red line of red lines, or or what's the conversation there? Well, there certainly are some more um, sanctions that that can be taken. I was uh, talking to um, a sanctions expert uh, a few days ago, and he actually said what what the the West and specifically Europe has done so far um, is probably on a scale uh, three out of 10. So um, Europe really does have uh, quite a lot more to do. The most significant move certainly would be um, if it acts on, on gas, coal, um, and oil, but there certainly are some other targets um, that that could be um, analyzed, and it could be um, that could be possibilities, including um, expanding the circle of oligarchs uh, that are that are being that are being sanctioned, for example, or um, expanding, for example, the circle of banks um, that uh, are are being sanctioned by the European Union. Uh, great insight as always, Rick Noah, correspondent for the Washington Post, based in Paris, France. We appreciate you joining us via Zoom uh, late in your day today. We always appreciate your perspective and some important insight on these uh, red lines uh, happening as these atrocities continue to to pour out and unfold before us. Rick, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me on. All right, again, that's Rick Noack uh, from the Washington Post, and uh, it's an important thing. You know, we're we are looking at some very bright red lines. Uh, President Biden was right to point out uh, earlier in the day today that all the evidence needs to be gathered. Uh, surely you can say war crimes have been committed uh, and then you need to figure out all of the facts and all of the things that happened in terms of what was the chain of command, what was the reporting order, what were what orders were given uh, and how that was carried out. Uh, those are all important things. Uh, but the things that are non-negotiable uh, is the value of life. Every single one. We talk about millions being displaced and becoming refugees. Thousands have been killed. Each one of those lives matter. Each one has meaning. It's up to all of us to find out what that meaning is and make it matter. All right, that wraps up hour number one inside sources here on KSL News Radio. Stay with us much more after top of the hour news. Breaking news now on the mobile app for KSL News Radio. Sponsored by Any Hour Services. Listen at home or anywhere you go. KSL FM Midvale, KSL Salt Lake City. This is Utah's news station. A stranger with a gun came upon two teens taking pictures under a rising full moon. But violence is only the beginning of this story. Sometimes I thought there are no miracles. Yeah, there are, and this is a big one. I'm Amy Donaldson, and I've spent my career talking about how lives are undone by violence. The Letter is a podcast about how lives are remade. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts.